Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Okay, here we go then. In five, four, three, two. Hey, what's up, y'all? Alan Kenny hosts the Blade Homerism podcast, part of Crimson and Cream Machine on the SB Nation network of podcasts. Make sure to uh, rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that uh, you get your podcast. Give us a, a five-star review if you're liking what you're hearing. Tonight, we are talking with Brett Ciancia. He uh, is a part of Pick 6 Previews. They do an annual preview there. Uh, he's going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, kind of the, the genesis of this whole project as well as uh, how he uh, sees the Big 12 playing out this year and then maybe we'll talk a little national scale at the end but let's go ahead welcome him on Brett how you doing man yeah Alan doing great uh, thanks for having me on um, you know we've connected over the years on Twitter and uh, you've been a go-to source for Oklahoma news and insights so uh, it's an honor to be on Oh man, well that's awfully gracious of you, man. I'm I'm happy to have you on. I really enjoy uh, the way uh, Pick Six has uh, kind of gone gone through stuff over the years. You know, it's it's been kind of cool to watch your work evolve. You know, uh, past couple years, I know that you've done uh, digital downloads. Your your latest edition is available. Uh, you know, kind of give us an uh, like an overview of what it is that goes into these. Is this just you kind of shooting off the cuff? Is, or is there a, a you know a analytical system behind this? What, what's going on here? Yeah, so uh, real briefly, Pick Six Previews launched in 2012, a college football preview site, just like the ones you'd see on newsstands, but digital. Uh, but really, last year, 2019 was the first real comprehensive book, uh, all 66 Power Five teams, Notre Dame, BYU. Uh, about 1,500 words per team, so real in-depth, um, a lot of stack graphics, trends, you know, recruiting trends, uh, my game grader formula uh, with some analytics in there. Um, you know, so what it really is is uh, it's a one-man show. It's just me. Uh, it's the end result of over 1,000 hours of film study, uh, spring games, in years we have them, right, but film, uh, spring games, uh, calls with coaches, calls with coordinators, um, you know, calls with local beat writers, local radio podcasts. It's it's very comprehensive what goes into this. And I like to strike a balance between the analytics and really the story because, it, you know, it gets boring to read about oh, Oklahoma's .121 in X category. That doesn't really do much for me. So while I have the analytics here and they're, they're easily presentable, I also bring it back into, you know, into actual readable terms. It's, um, you know, some X's and O's, some program history, uh, and just all encompassing really gives you a, you know, gives you the whole story of, of a team season coming up. So, um, yeah, super deep dive. If you like deep dives into programs, you know, on one team, I'll be talking about, you know, this is their best recruiting run since the 1980s. And then I'll, you know, another team will be talking about what style of offense they run. It's, it's kind of all encompassing. So I think that pops off the page too. 
Right. Now, this year, how you mentioned, you know, stuff like watching spring games. I mean, obviously, spring football was pretty much a washout for just about everybody across the country. Um, so, in, funny question. Does that make putting together your magazine easier or harder? Uh, definitely harder. So, um, just think of if you had five different pools of data, if one of them is gone, right? So, it, it takes out a big element. So, uh, a lot of people laugh at spring games. Um, you know, obviously the final scores don't matter which color wins in the in the mm-hmm. spring game. But for me, I'm looking at the the early enrollee freshmen coming in, the rising start, you know, the the young rising young guys to become starters, new coaching schemes from coordinators that were hired. Uh, you you tend to learn a lot within that two hour segment. You get roster deep dives and and seeing how everything's clicking. So without that, I've relied more heavily on my head coach and coordinator calls. Um, you know, with the Heisman credential, I've been able to connect with a lot of head coaches, a lot of coordinators, uh, beat writers, like I mentioned, just trying to get into the, into the details. Um, something I love to do. You hear a lot of these national guys and they, they do good work for what, for what they do, but you know, they'll only talk about Alabama or Clemson or Ohio state in great detail. I like digging into all these teams. I mean, I could talk an hour about Kansas's offense with Brent Dierman, what they put in, um, you know, so I, I love covering all 66 of these. Um, and I, I think that, that uh, like I said, would pop out on the page. But it's it's been a unique offseason. I know everyone's tired of hearing that, but in certain ways it definitely is. I'm leaning a little bit more this year on uh, roster continuity, uh, coach continuity, and scheme continuity. Just thinking without 15 spring practices where a lot of that gets installed, a lot of those new faces emerge, without that, uh, I think some teams will be in more predicaments than others. Right. Now, Oklahoma actually has some uh, nice continuity, at least on the coaching staff, with Alex Grinch moving into his uh, second season as defensive coordinator. And, of course, Lincoln Riley continuing to, uh, you know, kind of be one of the big, uh, big time innovators and hot names around the football scene in general. So let's talk a little bit about the Sooners here. Um, you know, based on uh, stuff like, you know, the film that you've been watching, for example, is there anything that really stands out to you about uh, about what you're seeing? Yeah, I'll do a little bit on offense and defense. Actually, for offense, I mean, this machine keeps rolling with Lincoln Riley. Um, You know, using my game grader formula, I went back and looked at over the entire decade, every single FBS offense, there's over 1,200 offenses, right? Only three offenses have averaged eight-plus yards per play. It's 17 Oklahoma, 18 Oklahoma, and 19 (laughs) Oklahoma, right? So uh, two two highs and winners and a finalist. So, um, yeah, this machine is going to keep rolling especially when you factor in Bill Biedenbow, the offensive line uh, coach there, uh, reloaded the system, reloaded the offensive line again. He's got four starters back, I believe. Um, or no, sorry, they had to replace four starters last year and uh, did it without missing a step. And it's another Joe Moore Award um, contender there at the offensive line. So, you know, the stable of running backs is always there. Spencer Rattler might be a, somewhat of a question mark, being that he's younger and uh, not an experienced Power 5 transfer quarterback like they've had, but – um, you know, from limited spring, uh, from limited um, high school tape, and then a little bit of that South Dakota game, you can see his style. Uh, you know, he's not a tight end build like uh, Jalen Hurts was, but he's got that shiftiness and that ability to create plays like uh, Murray and Mayfield. So uh, they have another star there. It might take some time to adjust. But uh, defensively, something that stands out. So I've been tracking um, Alex Grinch way back since his Washington State days. And what he did up there in Pullman was he tripled the amount of takeaways year over year. They, they only had 12 before he took over. The next year with Grinch, it was 36 uh, takeaways. So it's a very aggressive scheme. I'm sure Sooner fans can tell that by watching where 
they're top 10 in my negative play percentage, which just shows you uh, sacks, tackles for loss, plays behind the line of scrimmage, showing an, you know, showing an aggressive play scheme. They're top 10. Uh, the difference being, though, that last year when you watch a lot of the Oklahoma tape, a lot of dropped interceptions, you know, a lot of possible turnovers that weren't fully executed, and they were close. Um, and that shows they were almost dead last in turnovers per game last year. So uh, imagine if they were able to, you know, catch some of those picks, uh, execute more turnovers like you usually see from Grinch. I think a lot of those November uh, close games might be, have more distance, you know, a two-score lead instead of a close finish. So uh, very small things like that. You tend to see improve year over year in, in, a, in a coordinator's second year anyway. So uh, some encouraging points there. I think it'll be a step up on defense. Right. You know, you mentioned the uh, issues with takeaways there. It's it's actually dogged Oklahoma, you know, for, for years, really. Uh, and with Grinch, you know, uh, it had to have been just tearing him up last year. <laughs> there were so many times yeah. their ball skills. I mean, even against, uh, you know, LSU, where early in the game, they, they had an opportunity there for a turnover and, uh, you know, dropped it. It just, man, uh, one of those things that's, that's kind of dogged them. Um, so I, I guess, you know, one big question that I have for you is, uh, you know, the receiving core, though. Uh, you, you'll, you'll get different opinions here. I mean, obviously, it's a really talented group, young, but, I mean, C.D. Lamb is gone. Plus, you know, now uh, Jaden Hazelwood, who knows how much of uh, what kind of availability you will have for him this year with that injury. Uh, you know, how big of a concern is that for you? It's definitely somewhat of a concern. It's not the usual uh you know, deep, stable. I'm sure there's young guys there are. I know there's, you know, Theo Weiss is a five-star kid. He's going to have to play ahead of schedule. Marvin Mims, top 200 guy there. Um, so you're going to have some young blue chippers playing ahead of schedule. I also factor in Theo Howard coming in. He was a two-year starter at UCLA. He's also battling injury too. Uh, Trajan Bridges, I think, has a five-game suspension, mm-hmm. at least tentatively. So you're thinking maybe that Tennessee game, they're another man short. Um, you know, Charleston Rambo's proven for sure, but um, yeah, they're going to rely on some of those young guys maybe earlier than usual. Also rely on a tight end stable, which, yeah, it, it is pretty deep. You're, they're pretty loaded at tight end. Um, you're going to see those guys step up, Jeremiah Hall, Braden Willis, Austin Stogner even. So, um, yeah, but not, you know, not the usual Oklahoma where it's just an embarrassment of riches where there's eight, you know, eight blue chippers ready to roll. So a little bit younger, um, but definitely somewhat of a concern. How about on the other side of the ball? You know, Oklahoma sent, uh, you, you know, Neville Gallimore to the NFL, Kenneth Murray to the NFL, Parnell Motley to the NFL. I mean, those are really your, you know, best players last season at each level. Uh, do you see this defense taking a step forward in Alex Grinch's second year as coordinator, holding steady, taking a step back? I mean, what, what, how do you see that playing out? Yeah, I do. I do see them taking a step forward on defense. Um, now, I'm not just saying that because I'm on an Oklahoma. <laughs> you know, it's Big Twelve, but some Oklahoma fans listening. No, I think it takes a step forward. I mean, uh, the numbers show it. You know, right? A second-year coordinator, you always tend to see uh, just efficiencies gained, and that's common sense. I mean, the play, players know the scheme, coaches know the players where to fit them. You'll see some uh, positional shifts. You know, whether it be from nickel to corner, that kind of thing. But when you look back, I mean, they have recruited at an increased clip since Lincoln Riley took over. What was usually uh, in the top 15 area, you know, 12th through 16th area with Stoops, um, it's been all top 10 classes with Lincoln Riley. So the underlying uh, data there is that, hey, these are blue chippers. These are top 10 talented kids. Can a coordinator come in and and take, uh, you know, put it to use and get them developed and into their scheme? 
and given Grinch's track record, I mean, that's just, we're starting to add up a formula here where I think they take a step forward. And um, yeah, you lose the three starters. Um, keep in mind, you do get Caleb Kelly back after missing most of 2019 with that knee injury. Uh, the secondary, yeah, they might've had some issues in 20, uh, 2018 and, and 19 at times, but still, these are some blue chippers and now experience. You're starting to get experience. And um, yeah, I think they take a slight, somewhat of a step forward. I don't know if it'll be a, a massive jump, but it's enough to, have uh, have held my top position in the Big 12. I have Oklahoma projected to win it again. Right, again, talking with Brett Ciancia of uh, Pick 6 Previews, you mentioned that Oklahoma is your number one there. Uh, looking down the list here, you've got uh, Oklahoma State in Texas, it looks like, vying for uh, the second runner-up position. With uh, you, you ended up going with the Pokes, huh? Yeah, I went Oklahoma State. Um, this is a case where uh, when Mike Gundy has a trio, you know, a quarterback – and a huge receiver and a big running back, uh, he does well. This happened with the Brandon Whedon and Justin Blackman teams, um, you know, the Mason Rudolph and James Washington teams there in the mid-2010s. And here again, so uh, what you have is everyone knows him, Tylen Wallace. He's a Blitnikoff contender. He ended up tearing his ACL late in the season, but he was on pace to possibly win the award. Chuba Hubbard, everyone also knows him. He's a 2,000-yard back. Uh, so, I made this joke in there. I mean, so everyone has a signing day in February, but Oklahoma State's was in uh, in January yeah. when all these guys said, hey, we're coming back. We're, we're not going to the pros. So he talked them back. Spencer Sanders, too, is kind of a hot topic. Uh, he was a, fr- a freshman last year. Um, you know, I, I, I'm an optimist. I see that very high ceiling. He's athletic. He's running all over the field. Uh, he's got a cannon, but had some turnover issues at times. I think that's more more so just being a freshman starting first time. I think he cleans up some of those turnovers, and the three of them together uh, really start clicking. Last night on Oklahoma State, so I do these um, opponent-adjusted offensive percentiles. I know that's a word salad, but basically <laughs> how strong the offense or defense is against their schedule. Um, with the three of them healthy, those three stars, they were 85th percentile, so very high, you know, and this is with a freshman quarterback. Without the two, when Sanders and Wallace were injured, and it was only Chuba, uh, down to 22 percentile end of the year. So it shows you when these three are healthy and they're in the lineup and, and dynamic, this is a top 10 offense. So, um, And the very, very last point is it's a very veteran defense, and they really started to surge the back half of 2019. Um, something rare to consider Oklahoma State with some defensive power, but it's enough to, get the, to grind out some wins, and I have them second. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Right, it's kind of a no-name defense there, but uh, they they play solid football. I mean, they did at least last year. I th- felt like in the back half of the year, like you mentioned, um, going south of the Red River to the Texas Longhorns. Um, this is a team that kind of you know you'll get some split opinions. I think that people are hesitating to kind of jump on board with the Longhorns because they've been burnt. They got burned so badly. Well, not just last year, but you know plenty of times uh, before uh, you know in the past decade or so. You've got Texas third. Uh, what are the chances though that they end up maybe one or two? 
Oh, there's definitely a chance. I mean, there's always a chance with teams like Texas, USC. I mean, so it's kind of an annual thing where you're debating, okay, on paper, on, on signing day and well recruiting rankings, this is a top five team. They should win the league. But then when you start to factor in, they just haven't developed their prospects. Uh, there's been constant coaching turnover. In fact, this year, Tom Herman cleaned house, both coordinator changes. Um, and now looking back, it's two coordinator changes in an offseason with no spring. Uh, in, in a short summer. So there's just so many, uh, you know, it's just an internal debate every year with Texas about how much do you value just the raw talent uh, versus what they've been able to convert. And over the 2010s decade, when Texas really took a step back, there were two real uh, problem points. It was the offensive line was always an issue ever since that great 09 line. Um, and then also the quarterback spot, it had been issues until Ellinger late in the decade. So, but now for 2020, both of those are strengths. I mean, Sam Ellinger has proven himself as a player, um, you know, he has a, a rep as kind of a, a grinder runner. He's actually a pretty efficient passer, too. Uh, that, get, that gets overlooked. So he's a solid quarterback. Offensive line, Herb Hand's doing a great job there. Um, so finally, those issues are cleaned up. The issue now, I think, is defensively, where on paper, again, this was supposed to be the best decade in the, in the nation. Uh, all these five-star guys. But then when you see them on the field, I mean, it's almost like they, they weren't taught how to tackle. They were throwing their shoulders into plays. They actually in, injured their shoulders doing it. They were all banged up all year. Um, Todd Orlando's out. Chris Ash is in. Ash had some success as a coordinator in the Big Ten. We'll see if that translates. We'll see if they can get them back to their fundamentals. Uh, because, again, on paper, uh, they are a really strong um, you know, defense and a, an entire program. It's just a matter of can they finally convert. They're dead last in my uh, in my win conversion rate, which um, all that really is is it tells us compared to what they were signing on signing day, compared to wins, no one does uh, less with more than Texas over the last uh, you know five years there. So can can these coordinators, this double coordinator shift, uh, fix that overnight with no spring ball? That's that's the question. Yeah, you know, I've seen plenty of bad tackling, uh, you know, out of Oklahoma and, huh. and plenty of Big 12 teams, you know, the, over the years. Uh, that Texas, to see them kind of drop off the way they did just in that single part of the game, I mean, that was, to me, that was actually pretty stunning, especially given Todd Orlando's rep, you know, as a, uh, a defensive coordinator. Do you think, though, that this was a team last year that was more kind of on the unlucky side, or were they really just a pretty mediocre bunch? A little bit of both. I mean, so my, I mentioned my game grader formula. What that really is is a look at, you know, scoring scoring differential, yardage differential, per play metrics, explosiveness, all you know, a ton of in-game metrics down to a grade. Um, so a lot of these close losses could, could flip. You know, they're, they're pretty close. They actually ended up grading 20th overall um, uh, nationally. So a pretty solid team despite the record. Um, but, yeah, I just – I don't think they were that strong. I mean, if you look at some of these plays, I remember the, the C.D. Lamb play. I guess both mm-hmm. C.D. Lamb plays in that in that game. It's like he was running through middle schoolers. The, the tackle attempts, the bad angles. I mean, this is fundamental stuff. Um, and what's actually optimistic, if you're a Texas fan listening, is – uh, after Orlando moved on uh, in that bowl game prep, they started moving their players around and getting them into the right positions. You saw Joseph Asai. Um, you know, he was originally placed at linebacker. The, the interim staff moved him down at the end. And you saw what he did to a strong right. Utah line. Yeah. Nine tackles, six for loss, and three sacks. Bowl game MVP. So, long story short, uh, get a new staff in here. Get these raw players uh, in the right positions. Maybe stop blitzing just to blitz, that kind of stuff. Just <laughs> get back to fundamentals. I think that this team really, I mean, if they can play up to their potential, is strong. So, 
Right, and I'm looking here though with your next group here, four, five, six. You've got Iowa State, TCU, and Baylor. I see this is kind of like the next tier, I think, of uh, of teams in the conference. Um, I want to zero in on Baylor. Uh, you got them sixth overall. Obviously, they were uh, runners up last year. Uh, Matt Rules moved on. Dave Aranda in. So it's another one of these situations where they're going through quite a bit of uh, turnover just in terms of scheme and everything. Uh, you know, plus I think there's some uncertainty around Charlie Brewer's health at quarterback. But it, to me, Baylor looks like one team that could, you know, fall from, you know, a team that won what, like last year, like 10 or 11 games down to uh, potentially, you know, bowless in my opinion. Yeah, that's, that's spot on uh, both sides of the ball you hit on it. I mean, Charlie Brewer, uh, has been very strong, very stable quarterback. You did see his game taper a little bit at the end of the year there. Um, and I think that there was some linger, lingering concussion issues, maybe some other injuries. Um, it's hard to just – it's hard to forecast how that turns out for him. Uh, if he gets back to his peak, I mean, he was a very strong Big 12 quarterback. But my real worry with Baylor is defensively. Um, as part of my preseason prep, uh, one of the coaches I got to talk to was Dave Aranda himself, the head coach at Baylor now, former LSU coordinator. And uh, I will say, so talking to the guy, he's an he's a defensive genius. I mean, oh yeah, this kind of the kind of schemes he was talking about, and he, he was able to recall exact formations from his Hawaii days, like ten years ago. <laughs> he was saying how this one game they tried this three man front. I don't, you know, going off on that, and you know, it blew me away. But when you think of it, how is that? You know, such a complex scheme. It took him a few years to build at LSU. How is that ex- uh, complex scheme going to get installed with no spring season, no summer? And with nine new starters, I mean, the core of this program last year was his defense, and nine of them are gone. Uh, so really, really some some concerns personnel-wise with youth, but then also scheme change and just a really complex scheme. Now, Baylor fans, I think long-term, great hire. I mean, I think it's a great hire. Larry Fedora, a great coordinator on offense, um, you know, another dynamic uh, style of play. So I think it's a great long-term hire. Baylor bounces back, but it might be a super transition year here. It has the potential for that. Right. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. Uh, Aranda watching him, you know, on YouTube videos or, you know, when he was uh, at Wisconsin, yeah. he did a lot of stuff, you know, for like Big Ten Network. I mean, he's just kind of like this football dork kind of, you know, <laughs> because of the way yeah. he's always brings up down. But I mean, he's such an impressive guy, though, to, when you when you listen to the kind of uh, angles he's taking on what he's seeing out there and everything. It's uh, to me, it, he, it's an interesting hire. So. That's one where uh, they've done well two in a row because I thought Matt Rule obviously did was a uh, you know gangbusters hire there. So mm-hmm. um, let's talk about you know the the remaining four: Texas Tech, you've got seventh; Kansas State, eighth; West Virginia, ninth; Kansas, ten. Um, are there signs of life for any of these programs, or are they still just kind of stuck in neutral? I think a few of them have have signs of life. In fact, I can make the case they all do. It might take a few years. Um, I'll even start with Kansas at the bottom, where this was historically, and I mean, it still might be one of the worst in the nation, right? There's no getting around it. Uh, you started to see some sparks of life in that Boston College win, their first road win against a Power 5 team in like 49 straight games. Um, but what that was behind the scenes was they installed a new offense. They had this this new analyst named Brent Thierman. Uh, they brought him in from, uh, I believe it was like a, a junior college team. Um, anyways, you saw this new offense. It exploded. Um, they ended up firing their offensive coordinator midseason and, and promoting him midseason, and uh, you started to see some gains offensively. So while they go through another roster change, it won't happen in 2020, but I think that uh, 
this is an up and coming coach and a new dynamic scheme that some players might want to play in. So Kansas, uh, you know, it, it, they won't be dead last for long. Um, if you move up the scale a little bit, West Virginia, Kansas State. Kansas State is kind of like I, what I said about Aranda. I think it's a great hire. I think this next year, his second year, might be the transition year where, um, you know, this is a guy coming from North Dakota State. He won a bunch of national titles with this smash mouth power football style, which is kind of, um, you know, an outlier if you think of the Big 12 spread and passing attacks. So uh, last year, though, proved a, a proof of concept. It works. It can work in the Big 12 as an outlier, you know, punish, punishing offense there. The issue with 2020 is all five starting linemen gone. Uh, the top rusher gone, the top receiver gone. So a lot of transition personnel-wise on offense, um, looking like a transition year. But I do like the, climate, uh, the Chris Kleinman higher. Uh, lastly, I had Texas Tech up there at seventh. Um, now, mind you, all these bottom four teams are in their second years. So you tend to see the, the true look of the program start to develop in years two and three. With Texas Tech, remember, they were super close in a lot of games. Um, you know, a field goal lost to Baylor, a field goal lost to Kansas two-pointer to TCU, three-pointer to Kansas State. So four of these losses uh, could have flipped the other way. Now you have a more veteran team. You get your starting quarterback, Alan Bowman, back, who is, was knocked out. Um, and then, yeah, just a lot of second-year efficiencies gained now. So uh, I have them above the, you know, at the top of that bottom four-pack, uh, but behind Baylor. Right. You know, uh, one of those teams I think probably will end up maybe jumping ahead of Baylor. I just don't know which one it's going to be. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. Um, well, Brett, let's talk uh, national real quick here. You know, looking around, uh, there are a couple big surprises in your uh, four playoff picks here. You've got uh, two that everyone expects in Ohio State and uh, Clemson, and then two kind of wild cards, Florida and Oregon. Uh you know, give us uh, what you're seeing from the top four there. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, not to toot my own horn, but just because it's important context. Last year, I had a similar kind of outlier bracket. Um, I had I was the only publication in America to not have Alabama. That hit true after a whole summer of getting berated by SEC people, right? <laughs> um, that came true. Uh, I was on the right side of the Ohio State-Michigan debate also. So, so, yeah, so in this year, I have a couple outliers. Um, the two, you know, the two surefire bets there are Clemson and Ohio State. I think that with Clemson, it's um, a very manageable schedule, no surprise. And I think it's just a well-oiled machine. They're not going to fall out overnight. Ohio State, again, Ryan Day passed his audition last year. Justin Fields certainly passed his audition. He's the only returning Heisman candidate, and, uh, and they're not going anywhere. They have five-star talent everywhere. So from there, there are two outliers again. I have Florida coming out of the SEC. This is a, a three-team race between Florida, Georgia, and Bama. Um, I see some roster turnovers with Batua leaving, with Jake Fromm leaving, their respective schools. Georgia's offensive line is now playing on Sundays. Bama's defense is playing on Sundays. So a lot more changeover from those two. With Florida, I see a third-year bonus with Dan Mullen. Uh, who's really had success everywhere he's been offensively. Remember, he coached here, Chris Leak and Tim Tebow, those national title teams. Um, coached up in Utah before that, even Alex Smith, that undefeated team, Dak Prescott. So I'm, I'm rambling, but anyways, Dan Mullen has a track record. And finally, they have an offense, or sorry, finally have a quarterback at Florida, a uh, program that's really struggled offensively. Always has that NFL defense, but finally has an offense too. So I think there's enough firepower there for them to uh, to take the conference. And then the real wild card, I mean, this is a, a roulette chip on the board here with Oregon coming out of the Pac-12 uh, to make the playoff. And uh, when I started running the numbers back in January and February, Oregon kept popping out. 
defensively, all the metrics, everything. But I kept in my, back of my head thinking, well, they do play Ohio State in week two. I mean, if they lose that, they're out. But then I started thinking, if, even if they do lose that game and it's respectable, are they strong enough to, to uh, run the table the rest of the conference? And as I started digging into the other Pac-12 teams, there is definitely a gap this year. Um, when you look at Oregon, uh, finally for the first time since the 1990s, a program has passed USC in recruiting in the five-year average. So this is now the mo- both the talent, most talented roster. Um, it was a top-five defense last year, 10 starters back from that unit. And the only vacancy is at linebacker, and there's two five-stars, not just one, but two five-stars coming in to claim that one opening. Um, and then very, very lastly here on Oregon, when you picture the old Oregon, it was Chip Kelly. It was a flashy, you know, gadget offense that couldn't match up in the trenches. That's the opposite now. Mario Cristobal came in. He built this from the inside out. Um, yes, four starting linemen are gone. The four linemen coming in for those spots are all blue chippers, higher rated than, than their predecessors. And, oh, by the way, that one returner is Penny Sewell, who won mm-hmm. the outlet as the best lineman in the nation. So uh, all things considered, I think they're strong enough than the rest of the Pac-12 to go 9-0 and and make it in 12-1. and I'll tell you what really uh, stands out to me about Oregon, too, is, you know, you mentioned the Ohio State game. That's, that's obviously a tough one. But look at their conference road schedule at Colorado, at Cal, at Arizona, at Washington State, at Oregon State. I mean – that that's a pretty pretty manageable you know slate, and you get Washington and USC and Arizona State and Stanford all at home. Uh, that that breaks yeah. well for them. Yeah, that definitely played in. Also, when you look at the Pac-12 landscape, a lot of those teams that are usually you know eight nine wins who could who could reach up and scare you for a game, they're down this year. It's the uh, the Washington States of the world. Mike Leach transitioning out of there. They have a massive overhaul now offensively. Um, even Stanford is no longer that tough Stanford team of old. I mean, they're getting pushed around. So I think it's a down year for the league. When you uh, and for for full uh, you know transparency, it came down to them or Oklahoma for me because I was going to go with a, a conference champ uh, with Oklahoma. And this is no knock on them. I think that it's a, a stronger upper tier of the conference where I don't think that they you know I think they have a tougher road running the table in their conference than mm-hmm. Oregon does. Um, you have, like, like we already talked about, but Oklahoma State is, is up there finally with an offense and a defense. Texas just has the raw talent. Um, you know, TCU was a team that was a lot better than the record showed last year and, and even had Oklahoma close there in yeah. game of inches at the end. So all things considered, it's not even a knock on Oklahoma, more so that just, um, you know, I think that the upper tier, if you will, of the Pac-12 is just not that strong this year. Meanwhile, it's a, a strong top five in the Big 12. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I could see it. I really haven't, I haven't gone over everything so uh, in depth yet, but that's. I mean, I'm kind of feeling that uh, Oklahoma probably ends up on the outside this year at this point. So, but hey, Alan, every time I count out Lincoln Riley, he produces the highest winner. So, yeah. I, mean, I remember <laughs> yeah. saying this after Kyler, Mer- no, after Baker, I was like, no way, they can't do this again. And then after Kyler, no way. So, uh, yeah, hey, Spencer Rattler, get his seat warm for New York City because Trent's going that's just how it goes. So we'll right, see. right. Well, hey, Brett, let everybody know where they can uh, find your work and everything. Yeah, thanks. It's um, So the Twitter is at Pick6Previews. It's all spelled out. And uh, at Pick6Previews.com is where you can purchase the, uh, the 2020 season preview book. And, again, it's all 66 teams. It's about 1,500 words per team, a little bit more depth than the magazines. Um, you know, there's stack graphics, all kinds of trends. And uh, and on that website there, I, I put a couple sample teams up because I know it's a newer product compared to the ones you've been seeing on newsstands for 20 years. But I have a couple sample teams, 
couple testimonials. I actually just got one in, a huge one from uh, Chris Fallick of the Bear from College Game Day. Uh, they, yeah, he calls it a must-read, so I was pretty pumped seeing that. But anyway, sample pages, testimonials, uh, all on the website there, pick6previews.com. Right. You know, I mean, I say this about, you know, I'm able to lucky enough to talk to so many great like college football kind of analysts and stuff like that. I mean, and this product is up there with them. You know, I mean, I'm a big fan. I really like the way that uh, you guys present all the information and go through. I mean, it's clearly something that you as well researched, uh, you know, kind of and and well presented. Uh, It's it's a really great product, Brett. So uh, highly recommended on my end. Ah, thank you, Alan. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, thanks for the thanks for thanks for having me on and the positive feedback there. And uh, for sure, we'll be in touch this season on Twitter and uh, on the podcast. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, take it easy, man. Thanks. All right, that was Brett Ciancia of Pick Six Previews. Uh, make sure to check everything out there, PickSixPreviews.com. And uh, thanks to Brett for joining us, and thanks to you all for joining us, too. Remember, again, to rate, review, subscribe, wherever it is you get your podcasts. For the Blatant Homerism Podcast, I'm Alan Kenny. Take it easy.